Hey Rockbridge, hope you all are doing well. We're at that time of the year where we get to select new elders to serve in, all, in our campuses. Our elders provide overall guidance and oversight for how we shepherd and, and lead our congregation for the strategic direction that we're moving and they just provide extra disciple-making capacity at, at all of our local campuses. So what happens is we've had a confidential screening process for the past several months that's involved prayer and just checking people's involvement, their financial uh, giving to our church to support the mission of God here. And we're ready to present with you all to you all four names of people that we ask you to pray over for the next two weeks. And if you have any questions or concerns about any of these individuals, you can just let me know directly. My email is matt, M-A-T-T, at rockbridge.cc. But I'm excited about these four individuals, how I see Christ in them. No elder is perfect, but they are moving to follow Jesus passionately and wholeheartedly. So from our Chatsworth campus, our two elder nominees are Mike Touchstone and Cecil McClure. And in our Dalton campus, Manny Mesa and Chuck Morgan. All of these individuals are involved, they're stakeholders, they're partners in our mission here to glorify God by connecting people from all walks of life to life in Christ. So pray over them for the next several weeks and uh, we look forward hopefully to having them join our elder team in 2018. Hey, and I'm excited that today we continue in part four of our message series, God of the Underdogs, which is based on a book by Matt Keller. And I'm just loving the feedback that we're hearing about how God's word is intersecting with your lives and helping you realize how God can use you. And I'm excited to introduce my good friend and our discipleship pastor, Alfred Turley, who's gonna bring our word today. God bless, Merry Christmas. Well, it is my privilege, I'm excited. Uh, yes, again, my name is Alfred Turley. I work here, I love being here. It's been an awesome privilege. And to be in this series, God of the Underdogs, is a lot of fun, it's been a great series. Wanna say, that this coming Wednesday at all of our campuses, we do something, especially if you're new, I want you to know this. Every first Wednesday of the month, we come together as a church family. We celebrate something called communion. That's something that Jesus told us to do as a family. We worship God together, and more importantly, we pray. And we come together and we ask God to fill us with power and enable us to impact our communities and connect people from all walks of life to life in Christ. So don't miss out. Every campus has First Wednesday this coming Wednesday. And come and be a part of it. There's information in your bulletin on the times and details. But don't miss First Wednesday. So we are in the Christmas season. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it is already here. Time is definitely flying by. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to, the message today is, is a part of the Christmas story. Um, it's actually a famous underdog that we're going to talk about. And uh, I, this whole theme of the underdog, God of the underdogs, first of all, is that God loves underdogs. And we love underdogs. We love the stories of, of extraordinary, or actually ordinary people, unextraordinary people who overcome, who, who do something incredible, that God comes in and uses them. And it just speaks to us all in a powerful way. So that's the same thing we're going to be in right now as we get into the Christmas story. And we talk specifically about a very, very famous underdog named Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, a very honored person, a human. And we're going to talk about Mary. So let's get into the gospel, the gospel of Luke. It's one of the four stories of Jesus in the New Testament. You can open a Bible if you have it. Or a smartphone, turn that on. Or we, uh, we will obviously put the, 
the passages on the screen. So let's dive in and let's hear the incredible story of Mary and the beginning of the Christmas story. So we'll go to Luke chapter 1, verses 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to, to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not been intimate with a man? Good question. The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. What a beautiful and incredible interaction where an angel shows up and foretells the beginning, the birth of Jesus, the Savior who will come and save the world. It is a beautiful story. But I want to tell you that in Mary, there is a very important underdog condition that we need to address. And if we don't, if we're not careful, because I think all of us deal with, deal with it in one way or another, we can become complacent. We can deal with inaction, and we can, more importantly, we can miss opportunities that God has for each and every one of us. So what is that condition? Well, let's go to verse 28 and 29. Let's go back to verse 28 and 29 and figure this out. So the angel came to her and said, again, rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement. Wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And the angel even says next, don't be afraid. Now here's our question. Why was Mary so afraid? Why? Well, in trying to answer this question, I think I can answer it best with a story. I, before I came to work at Rybridge, I used to work, like many, in the carpet industry. In one of the large corporations in this area, I worked for Shaw Industries. I worked there for many, many years. And part of that time, I was, I would say, in lower middle management. I was just a lower middle manager. I had some responsibilities. I worked in one of the plants, had a little department in one of the plants. And one day, I'm out in the plant. And this is way before cell phones. Or maybe cell phones were coming out. Cell phones were coming out. I'm not that old. Um, <laughs> actually, I am. But, you know, just... Yeah, the gray's coming in here. But anyway, I'm out. I'm literally out amongst the machines. And a phone call comes in. I hear them page me. 
And I'd go over in amongst the machines and pick up this thing called a Terry phone. And I listen, and all of a sudden, I am, I am speaking with Mr. Shaw's secretary. Now, let me, let me tell you what this did to me. So I'm standing there, and instead of this, I'm... Okay, so I, I want to tell you that sheer terror gripped me. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this is happening, but sheer terror gripped me. And that, I think... You know, what ended up happening is that there was a nonprofit that I was working with and it, had had, it was having some, some positive interactions with Mr. Shaw and she had a question about that and that's what it was about. But I have to tell you that my initial reaction was, what's wrong? What's wrong? What have I done? Oh my goodness, because this is way above my pay grade. I should not be having this conversation. There are eight people between me and Mr. Shaw. This is not good. This is not a good situation. And I'm telling you, I think that's what Mary felt. Mary is a teenage girl. She is, she, we, don't, we have no record that she was specifically beautiful or well, you know, we know she wasn't wealthy or attractive or anything like that. She had nothing to bring to the table. She's a nobody. No one special, just a teenage girl. She's engaged, legally bound to a carpenter. He's not even that big a deal. I mean, I'm sure she likes him, but it's like my life has nothing here to offer. Why is this happening? She's freaking out. She's afraid. And that is what's going on here. She is going, what is wrong here? I'm a nobody. And this is our underdog condition. I'm a nobody. And no one sees me or notices me. Now, I think this is way more prevalent than we like to think or imagine. Here's why. We are a comparison culture. I actually tell you, I would say, I think we live, without thinking about it, we live like we're all on one big stage. And there's everybody there. And we're all just jumping up and down trying to get noticed. Trying to make it, see if somebody sees us. Trying to see if, you know, hey, I can set myself apart from the crowd. And we just feel, oftentimes, we can just feel lost in the masses. And truthfully, social media is making this worse. Because now we get to look online and see all the things that other people are doing. That we're going, man, I wish I did that. I wish I was doing that. I wish that was going on in my life. I wish that was happening to me. And, you know, I'm not that creative. I'm not this. I'm not that. So we are constantly comparing ourselves to the sea of people around us. And we feel like a nobody. No one special. Not set apart at all. Not standing out from the crowd in any way. Now... What can this, I am a nobody, no one sees me mindset cause? Because it's dangerous. And we need to address this. The first thing it can cause is complacency and laziness. What I do doesn't really matter anyway. Why exhaust myself? Ever felt that way? Number two. Fear and just sheer cowardice. Let's call it what it is, cowardice. I don't have what it takes for that. I can't make it through that. I need to play it safe. Number three, missed opportunity. I'm not the type who can have big dreams, big goals, big vision. I shouldn't even allow myself to dream. Have you ever felt this way? Well, let me say this. There's a little bit of reality to this. We love Simon, we have a love-hate relationship with Simon Cowell on American Idol, right? I mean, we love in the fact that, that actually we, I think we all have a little bit of 
we're thankful that someone actually tells people the truth. That there are people who come to these auditions and it's like, who told you to do this? I mean, did your mother, did, I mean, I don't mean this wrong, but did anyone tell you, oh man, you're going to nail it. And they walk in there and Simon's like, just, just go, just go. And we, we recognize, all of us, we recognize that we really do have very real circumstances talent levels, giftings, all that kind of stuff. And we recognize that maybe I'm not that special. Maybe I will never be, you know, I will never look a specific way. I'm already older. I will never achieve a certain thing. Those are some realities there. How do I deal with that? I mean, let's just fill in the blank. I'll never be in as good a shape. I'll never accomplish that much. But fill this in. I'm just a middle manager in a mill. I'm just a mill worker. I'm just a truck driver. I'm just, who knows, a teacher, a nurse, a customer service rep, a repairman, a mechanic, a stay-at-home mom. Maybe I'm elderly and, and I don't have as much to give anymore. Maybe I'm disabled and I just, I don't have much. Maybe, like Mary... I'm just a teenager. Fill in the blank. And in each of those things, we know there's nothing wrong or even bad about any of those. But when you put us on the stage, we know that I'm just one of millions of the same thing. I tell you, there's plenty of pastors. I'm just one. I'm, I'm just a pastor. So this is a real truth that we have to face. How do we deal, th deal with this? I feel like an underdog and nobody, and I have valid reasons for that. So what do I do? Well, before we answer that question, I want to answer another question. And this is the question. What did Mary do to win God's favor? And I think that will help us in this. So let's go to verse 39. So after the angel appears, Mary visits Elizabeth, her cousin. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. They are married. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, "'You are the most blessed of women,' And your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. She who has believed, this is very key, pay attention to this. She who has believed is blessed because what was spoken to her by the Lord will be fulfilled. She who has believed is blessed. You see, here's the key here, and you need to understand this. This interaction just happened. Elizabeth did not know Mary, that this was going to happen to Mary. Do you understand that? You, there's the scholars, the people that you, you look at this online, studies, no one sees any way Elizabeth could have known about Mary and what had happened to her. The Holy Spirit literally enters into the room, fills Elizabeth, fills the baby. The baby's kicking around. Everybody, Elizabeth is totally excited. And the Holy Spirit takes over and speaks through Elizabeth to Mary to confirm something beautiful. And here is what the Holy Spirit is telling Mary. Because he's going to tell her why she's favored. 
You are blessed and favored because you believe God. You believe God. That's how Mary got God's favor. And you have to understand, her response to the angel, her response to the whole situation was a beautiful faith. Yes, she felt like she's a nobody. Yes, she felt like she's an underdog. Yes, she's feeling there going, what is going on here? What is wrong? But she responded with, I am the Lord's slave. Let it be done as he said. I'm in. I'm in. I don't understand what I'm signing up for. I'm in. I'm the Lord's. I'm in. And she had no questions there. Mary did not respond for her, from her, an, I'm a nobody thinking. She had it, but she pushed past it. So, how can we cultivate that same kind of faith? How can we build that up so that we can push past this, I'm a nobody, no one sees me type of thing? Well, let's keep going because there's more answers in these passages. In 46... Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Because he has looked with favor, I want you to pay attention, looked with favor on the humble condition of his slave. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. See, Mary's response is of incredible gratitude and love. Incredible excitement and joy that, wow, I am so honored. She gets it. She, she knows she is being incredibly blessed. She is overwhelmed. But she's catching something. And when he says, he has looked. You need to understand and realize this. To develop underdog faith, God sees you. God sees you. This is a critical reality that God wants us to live in. That He sees, that He is intimate, that He is huge and massive and he cares about the details of your life he sees it he is massive Jesus even says this check this out when Jesus talks about God's knowledge and understanding of you Jesus says even the very hairs of your head are numbered now my number is going down but plenty a lot of you have big numbers and, and that number may be changing every day. But do you understand that God is so big and so massive that he has a running hair count on you at all times? Do you understand that he knows everything about you? He knows what happens when you're sleeping, when you're awake. He is constantly aware of you. Do you get that? God sees you. You see, we must embrace two key truths about God. His enormity and His love. God is enormous. Mary calls Him the Mighty One. And obviously Mary understood this because she lists all these incredible things about Him. 
She calls him mighty one, but she gets it that he is huge and amazing and all powerful. He fills the universe. You can't wear him out. How many of you, when you pray, you wonder, hey, am I bothering God? You know, are my prayers, are they like waiting in line for other people's prayers to get answered? I mean, I think people feel this. I think people come to God sometimes in prayer and going like, look, hey, look, I'm sorry. Can I bother you? You know, can I interrupt you? And he's like, I'm here. I mean, that's the whole point of Jesus. Jesus came so that we could have a personal relationship with God. So that God, and through the Holy Spirit, God lives inside of us now. And he's like, you don't, you don't need to go, can I bother you? I'm sitting here, I'm just waiting on you to talk. I'm waiting on you to interact. I'm waiting on you. God is enormous. Massive. You cannot wear him out. You cannot bother him. You can't tax him. You can't ask too much from him. You cannot do it. He may, he may say no, but it's not because you're, you're exhausting his resources. It cannot happen. His enormity is massive. He has 100% to give to you and to everyone else. That's how big he is. And we must understand his love. God's love. I want you to catch this. God's love should shrink your stage. Let me explain that. Let's go back to our stage illustration. Okay? Thousands, millions and millions of people on the stage. And we're all standing around trying to get attention. And God's telling us, no. It's you. And me, and I bought a ticket to see you. That ticket's name is Jesus. That ticket's name is Jesus. I was the first in line. I'm on the front row waiting to see you, and it's just me. It's an audience of one. It's just you and God. He loves you that much. He cares that much about you that he's like, I'm just here for the you show. Now, admittedly, the whole thing is not about us. It's about him. But his love needs to shrink your stage because with him, he does want that personal relationship. He wants this interaction. He wants this intimacy. I have kids. I have three little ones. They're getting older, but they love to just get in the living room and they do plays. Anybody deal with this? Um, I mean, I love it, it you know. It really is. It's, it's so much fun. Their talent, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, like film it and post it. But sometimes I may for, you know, America's Home Funniest Home Videos. But they're amazing. And I love watching them dance and sing and play and all this. And one of the times my little, one of my little girls was just dancing to her heart's desire. And she's dancing. I love seeing her live free and enjoy life. And then I'm, I just jump in there and I pick her up and I'm dancing around with her and she's just all smiles. She's totally loving it. She's loved being loved and she's loving life. And I just feel like we miss the level of love and intimacy God has for us that so clearly was purchased by Jesus. And maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're new to this whole thing. And I want to tell you, God loves you so vastly, so amazingly, and if you don't have a relationship with God, you should fix that today. Because he is worth it. And his love is worth everything. But shrink your stage. It's you and him. Let his love shrink your stage as well in your life. 
See, we think about the masses. And we let that tell us, how much of a difference can I make? How much of a difference can I make in around me? You know, I just can't really do anything. And I'll tell you what, God cares intimately about your family. He cares intimately about your friends. He cares intimately about your workplace. He cares intimately about your neighbors. And every single one of them, I promise, you are not a nobody to them. And you can have an impact on them. You can affect everyone's life in your immediate circle. You have an ability to bless. You have an ability to be a channel of God's grace and love into their lives. So you cannot say, I'm a nobody, when you shrink your stage down to your family and your neighborhood and your, your co-workers and your circle of friends. You cannot say you're a nobody there. You are definitely able to impact. And they see you, and they're looking at your life, and they can be impacted and affected by you. Shrink your stage. Let's go back to this story and continue more from Mary. See, Mary said, looked on humble condition. Looked on my humble condition. So God sees me, but he's also looked on my humble condition. And Mary recognizes that God is responding to her humility as well as her faith. Her humility as well as her faith. And I want to give you a better definition of humility. It's, it's one I've heard through the years. I think it's a beautiful definition. It's a biblical and healthy definition of humility. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves, putting ourselves down, degrading ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. That is a beautiful thing for us to say. You see, here's the thing. Mary was in her life, yes, she's a nobody. Yes, she doesn't have a lot necessarily going on. But she's like, you know what? I'm not really interested. I'm not that interesting. So I'm not even going to dwell on me. But you know who is interesting? Him. And I may be a nobody, but I belong to a somebody. And he's worth looking at. And he's worth me examining. He's worth me pursuing. He's worth me seeking. He's worth me looking at. And he's fascinating and he's awesome and he loves me. So Mary turned that and focused on him. And she's not focusing on others. She's not focused on herself. She's focused on him. That's what humility is. When we turn away from looking at ourselves to looking at others. Now it can be looking at other people. But we, if the health is humility is when we turn it and look at God. All underdogs are humble. They know they don't have anything worthwhile to offer. And Mary knew this. But here's something she did that we can all do. All do with our weaknesses. Listen to this. Underdogs leverage their weakness to drive them to focus on God. Now think about that. I'll explain this. I, am, I mean, I've worked here for, I've worked at Rockbridge for 10 years. I'm a pastor, and um, I'm told many times people like, people like to pray with me. They say, Alfred, I really appreciate your prayers. And I pray for people a lot. I got a prayer app, and there's some great ones out there, and help you remind. And I pray for a lot of people. I'm, I'm, and our staff will tell you I can get kind of crazy about prayer. I believe in prayer. But let me tell you why. I was one of the most fearful, scared, just... My parents had to hold me back a year because the teacher said I was kind of like socially just not there. I mean, they were, 
They were like, he's just too scared. He can't handle change. He can't handle things. He's just too nervous. And they said, I'm just, they held me back a year. I was like the oldest, second oldest person in my class. Um, because of this, they had to hold me back because I was just strange, I guess. <laughs> very, very fearful. But here's what happened. As I grew up, I began to take that fear and go, God, will you help me? Will you and, and pray? And here's the crazy thing. He answered. He answered. And he started coming through, and it's like, oh my goodness. So I, I, I can take my fear to God. And he takes care of it. And, and he changes our lives because we, we can leverage our weaknesses, make them drive us to God instead of letting them affect us that way. How can, we, how can you do this in your life? How can we do this? But we can, underdogs, leverage their weakness to cause them to focus on God. And Mary had done this. I'm an underdog. I'm really a nobody. I'm just a teenager. But you know what? I've got time, and I'm going to focus on him. And I'm just going to live for him. And that's what she did. Now, one of the biggest enemies to developing this faith and this humility is next in this passage. So let's go ahead and go to what Mary says next. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, mindful of his mercy, just as he spoke to, his, to our ancestors to Abraham and his descendants forever. So Mary goes after three situations there. She goes after proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. God's taking them out. He, she goes after mighty on their thrones. God's taking them out. She goes after the rich and, and God's taking them out. And I'm sure, you know, some of us, as we feel like we're on this stage, we're kind of, well, I, I mean, that guy over there, man, I mean, if he fell, I wouldn't be that upset, you know, because... I'm not really that excited about him, and I feel like I measured up to him, and I don't really appreciate that. You know, so we can feel that way sometimes. We're kind of, you know, we kind of like to see those who are way up kind of get toppled because they kind of rub it into the rest of us sometimes is how it sometimes feels like. That's just kind of the normal human interaction here. But I, Mary's actually saying something that's very important here. And she's saying that the self-reliance, see, when I'm rich, it is this, I am richer than I have more resources than others. When I am mighty on a throne, I am stronger and more powerful than, than others. When I am proud, I think I am better, more talented, more gifted than others. You see, here's the thing. Each of these conditions is a comparison condition. It's the stage. It's a comparison, total comparison condition. And this is what's so important. We must fight against comparison. We must fight against comparison. And you need to understand this. God is very clear in the Bible, in the Old and New Testament, that He wants us to compare ourselves to Him, Jesus. Jesus is the flesh of God. Jesus is the manifestation of God showing us exactly what we should look like if we had never sinned in the garden. If Adam and Eve had never messed things up, we would look like and walk like Jesus. 
He came to show us the way. God's telling us, I want you to be like me. The person you need to set your comparison to is me. God tells us, he says in the Old Testament, he says, be holy for I am holy. He says that in the New Testament too. Be merciful because I am merciful. You should forgive because I've forgiven you. See, God's always telling us, you're comparing yourselves to each other. That's dumb. I didn't make you that way. I'm comparing you to me. I made you to bear my image. Now, let me tell you something. You want to start comparing yourself to God? I think you're going to get humble pretty quick. Don't you think? But do you realize that God's actually saying, if you'll focus on me, I'll accomplish way more in your life than when you focus on all these other people around you. And when you focus on him, I tell you what, you're not going to stand around thinking you're richer than God. You're not going to think you're mightier than God. You're not going to think I'm prouder, I'm better than God. It kind of cuts things down for us. Doesn't it? We have to stop comparison. Jesus gave us the example to live by. Comparing ourselves to others causes us to look away from Jesus and begin to pat ourselves on the back. Hi, I'm not that bad. Hey, I'm doing a little better than I thought. I'm better than him, her. My life's a little more significant than them. Oh my gosh, they liked my blog post. Wow. Do you see how many likes I've gotten? That kind of stuff. That is not healthy for us. Finally, I want to just sum this up. Maybe you feel like an underdog. Maybe you feel like you're a nobody. No one sees. But truthfully, he does see. And you're not a nobody to him. And you're not a nobody to those around you. You can make a difference and an impact, especially if you fix your attention and your fascination on him and let him use you and let him call you and say, I've got something for you to do. And you're going to go, I'm the Lord's slave. Let it be done to me as you have said. And you respond with a faith and a trust. Mary found God's favor precisely because she did not see in herself anything worth building on. So she built her life on seeking and knowing God. Through seeking to know Him, she developed a faith that God would do what He said He would do. And God knew this about her beforehand. That's why he picked her. This is what made her a very usable and favored underdog. What would happen if you and I lived like this every day? If we embraced humility, used our weakness and our nobodiness to turn us to our amazing God and believed that He loves us and loves our little world, your little family, your little neighborhood, your workplace, believed it and sees and cares about you intensely, what would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. We would pray with faith and see God do wonders. Because he will answer your prayers. We would respond to his call to make an impact 
on those around us. And even if the world never notices, there's no like on Facebook, there's no post on Instagram, no one ever sees, the audience of one sure does. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are the God who loves us and sees us. You are the God who tells us we are not a nobody. We are yours. Lord, I thank you that even today, people hearing this are far from you and don't realize they could have all this with you. And I pray that even now, they would pray and ask you to be the Lord and the King of their lives. And they would begin a journey of following Jesus Christ. Father, thank you that none of us is a nobody. We were created with love and intention. And Lord, I pray that you would fill us with joy and courage and purpose and love and let us live to change our world. Here we are, Lord. Let it be done to us as you have said. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.